Pastor Gary and Alice Morton, and they pastor Great Church in Anchorage, First Assembly of God. And uh, Pastor Morton served as our assistant superintendent for many years and blessed our, our uh, network. And today he is here to represent Christians United for Israel. And so it's going to be a great day, and I just want to welcome them and, and thank, thank them for coming. And uh, I was talking with Pastor before service about uh, connecting with him and trying to put together an Israel trip for our church. How many would like to do that? Amen. So he's, he's going to help me, and we're going to try to put together a trip in the, in the future where we can just go and have a wonderful experience. I've never been to Israel myself, and I would love to go. So I think it's going to be great. Uh, so let's give a great big summit welcome to, to Pastor and Alice today as they come to minister. Thank you, my brother. So great to see you. It's so wonderful to be at Summit today. Hallelujah to God. What wonderful worship. I think we ought to just give this team a huge round of appreciation, applause for all that they have done to bring us into the very presence of the living Savior. Uh, I tell you, it's, it's always a joy to be here. Uh, I've, I've had the privilege to be with you in a variety of different settings, and, but today it's my absolute joy to be here as a, uh, the state coordinator for Christians United for Israel. And I want to share some things with you today that will, I believe, God will use to touch your heart in incredible dimension. We want to rejoice in the, in the blessing of God that He has brought to us through the people of Israel, through the nation of Israel. And I, I can only tell you that... Um, well, Alice and I have been in Alaska for the last 27 years. Um, somebody said, I have lost some of my southern accent. I go down, the, down south, Pastor, and I know you've just returned. Um, my accent comes back real quickly, <laughs> real quickly. But um, I'm here today not representing the south, not representing even uh, uh, Midtown Anchorage. I'm here today representing the heart of God for the, the Jewish people and for uh, the nation of Israel. 27 years ago when I came to Alaska, the Lord put a very special touch on my heart, and especially for the, the people of Israel. I'd been to Israel one time back in 1993. Uh, to say it was life-changing is, is an understatement, but um, a number of years ago, the Lord began to intersect my life with special friends from Israel, and very powerful biblical truths that have changed the course of my life and the direction of my life uh, in, a, in a profound way. I've just returned from Israel. Uh, I should say in, in late January, one of the very first groups allowed back into Israel. I can tell you the Israeli people would be absolutely thrilled, Pastor, for you to bring all of your whole church family to Israel. How many have ever been? Anybody ever been to Israel here? Oh, great. That's a great number. How many want to go and join those? All right. That's very good. Pastor, you got a, you got a big group already ready to go. Today, I want us to focus on this thought, why Israel? Moving from why should I even care about Israel to what can I do? Fifteen years ago, Christians United for Israel was founded by Pastor John Hagee. And from just a few hundred followers, Christians United for Israel has grown. Right now, in the, in the state of Alaska, we have over 27,000 members of Christians United for Israel. I think we ought to rejoice in that. And I think we need to add at least three or 400 here this morning more. Amen. And, um, but I can happily tell you that throughout the, the entirety of the United States, Christians United for Israel today is around 10 million plus members. To God be the glory. Hallelujah. God has been using Kufi 
to advance and to educate and equip millions of Christians across the nations who want to add action to their prayers and standing with the people of Israel. Because God always uses people. Aren't you thankful that he does? We have tremendous ministry groups, Kufi on campus. In fact, to help me introduce some of these things to you, I'd like for our ushers, if you would, to make sure everybody here in the, in the house gets this whole packet. There are about, uh, there's a number on the, on the table in the back, and there are boxes full of those. And so, ushers, if you would like to help me uh, get ready to bring those to everybody, you're welcome to do that at any time that you would like. Christians United for Israel has... Uh, uh, an on-campus representation at over 400 universities around America, uh, combating anti-Semitism and, and anti-Israel propaganda. Uh, Kufi reaches into the world of millennial influencers through our Israel Collective. Maybe you've seen Israel Collective on, on YouTube. Uh, we've just, in recent hours, taken a great group of people back to Israel that are Christian influencers uh, from our, across America. You'll be seeing some of those things in just the days ahead. It's life-changing to each of those who visit Israel with Kufi, and very, very soon we're going to make sure your pastor gets to join one of the pastor's trips to Israel. We want, it's a trip unlike any other trip that you'll go to Israel with. I want to in, introduce to you Pastor John Hagee, who's going to give us our very first biblical reason for supporting the Jewish people and standing with Israel. Christians United for Israel, the largest pro-Israel organization in the United States with over 10 million members, is coming to your community to help you be better informed about the biblical mandate to stand with Israel and support the Jewish people. Kufi is the foremost Christian organization educating and empowering millions of Americans to speak and act with one voice in defense of Israel and the Jewish people. Kufi's diversity across political, ethnic, generational, and denominational lines maximizes our impact in communities, the media, on campus, and in our nation's capital. Kufi is committed to confronting indifference and combating anti-Semitism in all its forms, wherever it may be found. Many Christians believe that it is good to support Israel, but at Kufi, we also want you to know why it's important. We will answer the critical questions and present the essential reasons why Israel matters to God, to Christians, to America, and to the world. The information you will glean from this dynamic presentation will enlighten and equip you to participate in God's biblical mandate to stand with the nation of Israel with prayer and with action. We look forward to standing with Israel and the Jewish people together. Why support the Jewish people and the nation of Israel? We'll start with the most obvious biblical reason. The Bible shows us the marvelous truths of... Um, the night to honor Israel led to the birth of Christians united. Here we go. John 4, 22, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Look what Jesus said. Salvation is from the Jews. Would you say that together with me? Salvation is from the Jews. That's the foremost reason why we need to support the nation of Israel. It's the Jewish people who brought us our salvation and the knowledge of the one true God. The Bible we read is a Jewish book. Every word written by a Jew, other than maybe Luke and Acts, depending on your particular Bible school background. But every prophet, every apostle is Jewish. All the matriarchs, all the patriarchs, you guessed it, they're Jewish. All of those, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, by the way, Jesus is Jewish. John the Baptist, not a Baptist. He's Jewish. Amen. So what does that mean for us? Romans 15, 27 says, For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, Paul instructs us, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. 
Also noted in the New Testament is this clear statement of our, well, let's call it what it is, eternal indebtedness to the Jewish people and our responsibility to bless them with action. Aren't you happy to know that as Gentiles, we've been grafted in to the spiritual blessings and the love of God that he's previously only established with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, he calls them the apple of his eye. Amen. You know how much God loves Israel? He calls them the most important part of the eye. You wonder why God protects Israel? Turn to your neighbor and smile at them and open your eyes big and let them just poke you in the eye right there and see if that doesn't elicit some kind of response. Oh, be careful. Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> no. God is serious about his firstborn son, Israel. Abraham, the whole covenant begins, and one of my pastor friends in Anchorage so astutely put, what is it about eternal covenant do we not understand? When God made a covenant with Abraham, he established it to be an eternal covenant. Genesis 13, 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and to the south, to the east and the west, and all the land that you see, all the land that you see, I'll give to you and to your offspring forever. Now, there's several aspects of the covenant, of the Abrahamic covenant that we could look at today. But primarily, I want to address just and limit our thoughts to God's forever perpetual promise of a property given to Abram and his descendants. Genesis 15 verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Don't you love the faith of Abraham? God calls him, I want you to go someplace. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. You know, I'm just, you're going to go. I want you to go. And he says, okay. And, and I love the faith of Abram, but I want you to look at these next words. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? Now look at this passage of scripture that's on the overhead here. Because after Abraham, uh, I should back up to say, uh, God says, how am I, Abram how am I going to know that I'm going to gain possession of it? I'll get these slides in correct order here. But he says, Abraham is saying to God, well, I believe what you say, sort of. How many of us have ever done that to God? God, I believe you. Yeah, sort of. Well, but what are, you going to, what are you going to share with me and show to me and give to me that will help me know that you're going to do this? And we could talk about God's promise to Abraham but, um, and the fulfillment of that promise through his son. But the first thing God says to him, God says, Abram. I'm going to swear to my own name that I'll keep this promise to you forever, something that we're not allowed to do. That's exactly what God did. Hebrews 6, 9, uh, 6, 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, Paul says, or the writer of the Hebrews, I happen to think it's Paul, but it, of course, depends on the seminary you go to. The writer to the Hebrews says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater, say that with me, no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. Now that to me is a frightening display of God basically swearing to himself. What a moment in history. He then gives Abram a little more detail about how this is going to come to pass. And uh, God says, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You'll call him Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. The verse that we're reading passes on the promised land to Isaac, and look at this, and to his descendants, plural, forever. And so central to the testimony and person of God is this promise that is personified in God's blessing through Abram and Sarah's life. 
And that promise is continually uh, echoed throughout all the Old Testament uh, prophets, major and minor, maybe perhaps with the exception of Malachi, but every other prophet uh, declares God's faithfulness in this regard. The Lord shows us another reason why we should not only celebrate the nation of Israel, but support her and her people and pray for uh, the peace of Jerusalem. Because God's promise is being actuated and fulfilled right now in our generation. People ask me, I want to see a miracle. I say, turn your eyes toward the Middle East. And you are watching and witnessing the greatest miracle in our time. We've been a part of that now all of these years. And sometimes we, we forget just how precious and how powerful it is. The, the, the word of God promises in Amos 9, I will bring my people back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They'll plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruit. I'll plant Israel in her own land. Look at this part. Never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. Listen, that promise can't be referring to the children of Israel returning from Babylon, uh, like the book of Nehemiah, because after returning and rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls, the Jews were once again uprooted from their land the next time by the Romans. So Amos clearly states that the Jews returning in this this part of the world is a final fulfillment of God's promise to them and that they will enter this time not a land of milk and honey but a land that is ruined. Well, let me let me show you this. This is a from a picture uh, that was t- uh, included in the interim report on the civil administration of Palestine dated June 1921. That's over a hundred years ago now. This is a portion of the Valley of Megiddo, or as my guide in Israel calls it, Megiddo. The, you've heard that, that term, Megiddo, Megiddo. It's where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. This is what the land looked like for centuries before the modern miracle rebirth of Israel. And today, this is what it looks like. I think we ought to give the Lord praise because his word is coming to pass right before our eyes. Ezekiel says the desolate land will be cultivated. Instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it, they will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Oh, thank God, what an incredible picture we see where God is bringing them back a second time and the promise is they will never be uprooted again. This is a picture of the Hula Valley that was a very desolate, useless, if you can imagine, a mosquito-infested, malaria-infested marshland for centuries until God brought back the rightful owners of the land in 1948. And from 1951 to 1959, they drained that marshland, and well, right now, It's one of the most beautiful places in all of the Middle East. To God be the glory. Why? Because God said, this land that was laid waste will become like the Garden of Eden. Somebody ought to give the Lord praise in the house of God today. He fulfills his word. Now, this is one of my favorite pictures taken in 1909. In 1909... 60 Jewish families purchased some sand dunes from some of the Bedouins who owned them in the area uh, right around uh, that, uh, uh, the Mediterranean Sea there. And so what did they do? These, this is what it looked like. They gathered and they said, this is our destiny. This is our future. Boy, does that look exciting to you? How many want to be a part of that group? They were so excited about it, they said, we don't know for sure how to, how to divide it up, but they decided they would scratch their names on seashells, they placed their names in a bucket, and they gathered for a lottery to see who got which parcel of ground. 
And as each cell was pulled out, the family was given a specific area of land. Now remember, God said, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. And this is what it looked like from that same vantage point the last time I was there. Somebody tell me God hears and answers his people's hearts. And God is true to his holy word. Hallelujah to God. The Lord said, I'll bless them that bless you, Abram. I'll curse those who curses you. Now, we, we kind of get that. So somebody said, I want to be on the right side of that equation. I want to, has there anybody been cursing Israel in here today? Well, I hope not. Rarely do people do that. Oh, that, it happens with regularity, I should say, especially outside the framework of the body of Christ in our world. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But rather than overtly curse, especially within the framework of the evangelical world, we have, we have been guilty of what the, the true understanding of the Hebrew words here in this passage, uh, we've not fully understood it or come to grips with it because without going into the depth of a, of a word study here today in the Hebrew, what it literally means is I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who lightly esteem you. Now that brings it right home to all of us. Why? Why is it so important to be careful about the apple of God's eye? Well, you'll elicit a response from him. If you even lightly esteem them, the Lord says, the whole earth has been blessed and blessed abundantly by the Jewish people. How many of you have your cell phone with you today? How many are watching some other service? No, I'm just kidding. Thank you for staying with me here today. But if, if you're thankful for your cell phone, thank the Jewish state. Because the technology for that was originated in Israel. So many things God has blessed, and that's just the least of it. But um, our world has been blessed in so many ways that we don't even think about especially within the framework of our Christian faith community. We've been so blessed. Today, if you Google with that same cell phone, the longest hatred in the world, and an astonishing 105 million posts will appear, and you can go as deeply in them as you want to, and they'll all identify the longest standing hatred in the world as being anti-Semitism. People ask, when did this hatred for the Jews begin? The answer is found in a Jewish prayer. The Vehishyamda, the passage in the Haggadah or the Passover Seder that deals with saving the people of Israel. Notice what it says, and, and it is this, the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that has kept us. For not only one arose to destroy us, look at this, say this with me, but in every generation they arise to destroy us, and the Holy One, blessed be He, delivers us from them all. That prayer of praise is offered seven nights in every observant Jewish home during Passover. The hatred for the Jewish people began while they were being formed as a nation, even in the womb of Egypt. And the one who tried to destroy them was a, was a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. It's the world's oldest hatred. It runs from Ramses to Haman to Hitler. The Egyptians were ordered to destroy every Hebrew baby born Throw them into the river. It was the birth canal of anti-Semitism. God had a plan at every point. Even the, the Babylonians who, who destroyed the first temple and the Jews who lived in the promised land had been there for around 400 years. Some of them good years, some of them bad, but they turned away from following God. And can you imagine that glorious temple that Solomon had built? And the sadness, the heartbreak as it was destroyed and the Jews were exiled for 70 years. 
God also promised that would come to an end before returning to rebuild the temple. And then you've got Haman. He had a, what he called his final solution for the Jews. You know the story of Esther. Many Jews chose not to return from exile and legislation was passed against those still in Persia. Does it surprise anybody that that's modern day Iran? That call for the Jews to be exterminated in a single day. You remember this story, but thank God for Esther who recognized her time frame and God brought great deliverance. The Jewish people were saved. You go on to 70 AD the destruction of the second temple by the Romans, Jesus prophesied not one of these stones would be left upon another. And the temple was once again destroyed and the Jewish people were cast into surrounding nations. We don't talk about 1492 unless we're talking about Columbus sailing the ocean blue. But in 1492, the the Spanish Inquisition and the expulsion of the Jews, the Jews in Spain and her surrounding territories would be persecuted, tortured, and killed, not just for a short time, but listen to me, for over 200 years. Why? Just for the sin of being a Jew and not converting to the church. Go 400 years earlier, the Crusaders swept through Europe and the Middle East. And for over 200 years, there was systematic slaughtering of Jews as Christian Crusaders battled to regain Jerusalem from the Muslims. You say, well, now, Pastor, that wasn't us. That's the Catholic Church. We're Protestants. Do these seats have seat belts here, Pastor? It might be time to put them on. We're coming to some, some turbulence right here, all right? Make sure that you're, everybody's in their seats carefully. You are correct. But in what we call the birth canal of anti-Semitism, even in the beginnings of our Protestant faith movement, we find the Protestant reformer Martin Luther whose works we've hailed for many, many years as on his thoughts concerning uh, justification by faith. But something happened to Martin Luther that, that has become a, a huge stain that most Protestants don't even know anything about and they've swept away. He got so angry with the Jews because they didn't convert that he determined to write some hellish things about them on the Jews and their lives. And I just want to quote two short portions of Luther's thoughts about the Jews. Now, let me, let me just, one caveat. My wife was raised in a Lutheran church. She's been through Lutheran catechism. She understands every facet of it. And I'll guarantee you, they don't teach any of this in the Lutheran church. And thank God, the Lutheran church has repudiated what Martin Luther said about the Jews, but it took them over two, 300 years to do so. Uh, I'm telling you, church, we've got some, some um, outstanding bills in Protestantism that we need to take care of, and part of it is understanding some of our history. Two short portions about uh, what Luther had to say about the Jews. First, listen to me. Some of my dearest friends in the whole wide world are Jewish people. The Jewish Chabad rabbi in the city of Anchorage is one of my closest and dearest friends. I was just communicating with a dear Jewish friend in Israel this morning in the middle of the night, in the middle of their afternoon over there today. And um, I love these people with my whole heart, and I just cringe when I read what some Christians, and this is what Luther wrote, first set fire to their synagogues and schools and bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn so that no man will ever again see a stone or cinder of them. This is to be done in honor of our Lord and of Christendom so that God might see that we are Christians. Dear God, I can't read much more, but he said, Second, I advise that their houses also be burned and destroyed. I also advise that their rabbis be forbidden to teach on the pain of loss of life. We must act like a good physician who, when gangrene is set in, proceeds without mercy to cut, saw, and burn flesh, veins, bone, and marrow. Such a procedure must also be followed in dealing with the Jews. And for the next 65,000 words, a man that Protestant Christendom has revered in his most vile book, 
pours out his hatred for the Jews. You say, well, thank God that didn't catch on. Well, hang on with me. 1938, the Holocaust happened. You may not be familiar with those writings of Martin Luther, and you probably don't know that he's highly praised by another anti-Jewish manuscript called Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. What did Hitler have in common with Luther? The same ideology, and I'm quoting, the same ideology concerning the Jews, Hitler used Luther's words through all the Holocaust in his propaganda campaign to destroy the Jewish population of Europe. He printed those words millions of times to gin up the hatred of the people in the church. It's hard to imagine six million people, including one and a half million children, dying. The church in America was silent. The church in Alaska was silent when Jews called or actually wrote letters and missives to our governor of the, of the territory at that time and begged to come to Alaska, and we said, no, you can't come. The church in America has been silent for far too long. Over six million Jews would eventually be murdered. And can you imagine the, 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 the total tally, if it's even possible to calculate, God can. Over 60 million Gentiles would also die. With major cities around the world destroyed for years because no one would come to the aid of the Jewish people when Hitler first began to persecute them. And after almost one 1,900 years of being persecuted and cast out of every nation in which they lived. Crying out and praying century after century. Next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. Then the miracle happened. Hallelujah. After nearly 2,000 years of exile and foreign domination, the Jewish people once again were free in their own land. On May 14, 1948, David Ben-Gurion proclaimed Israel's official independence and modern rebirth. Celebration was short-lived. The next day, five Arab armies attacked Israel. Short on manpower, resources, and with almost no international assistance, Israel miraculously survived and even gained ground. But independence came at a great cost. Israel lost 6,373 people in the war, nearly 1% of its entire population. After more than a year of fighting, the Arab nations made armistice agreements with Israel and withdrew. For the first time in two millennia, the Jewish people had a national home and a strong defense force. What a miracle. May 14, 1948, the nation was born. The scripture says, who's ever heard of such a thing as this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment, Isaiah said? For the next 20 years, the Jews built the miracle nation of Israel while embracing hundreds of thousands of Jewish refugees, five escaping Arab hostile Arab nations, as well as over 160,000 Palestinians and the governments who wanted Syria, to stay Iraq, and remain Jordan, a part Saudi of the nation of Israel. Declared their the five Arab nations Israel that had attempted to wipe the Jewish the state off the map in 1948 didn't do so. After winning the Six-Day War, Israel controlled several territories captured from the invading Arab nations. Israel's new borders included the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, the huge Sinai Peninsula, and the strategic Golan Heights. Israel offered to return the Sinai Peninsula to Egypt and the Golan Heights to Syria on June 19, 1967. In exchange, Israel wanted peace agreements. The immediate answer was no. At the Arab League's Khartoum Conference in Sudan, the League adopted an official position against Israel that included three infamous no's. No peace, no recognition, no negotiation. 
For 12 years, the three no's prevented all peace efforts. To this day, the three no's are a major obstacle to establishing peace between Israel and many of its neighbors. We could continue to talk about so many of these, but the response from Israel's enemies has always been to say no to peace, no to recognition of Israel, and little has changed. These are calculated and continuing patterns of Arab refusal to recognize the right of the Jewish people to even live on one inch of the land in the Middle East. Israel's fight for peace from 1967 to today has been quite extraordinary. And this, this map is not complete by any stretch of the imagination. But even so, every time I go to Israel, Israel is a place filled with hope. Why? Because it's a people who are enjoying the blessing of their almighty God who's answering their prayer. Israel is a country for all its citizens, whether Jews or Christians or Muslims or even atheists. Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East that offers freedom and opportunity for all its citizens. It's the only country in the Middle East where Christianity is safe and growing and the Muslims living in Israel are the freest in the entire world. Israel is a blessing to the nation. They have a, a, a term in Hebrew, tikkun olam, which means to heal the world. When I was in, in Jerusalem just a few uh, weeks ago, some of the very first people allowed to come back and tour the country, I was interviewed by someone in, in their media, and they said, why would you come? In the midst of this terrible pandemic that has gripped the world, why would you come here? I said, because of tikkun olam. Because Israel wants to heal the world. And I could tell as I'm talking to this Jer Jewish journalist, his voice choked up. And he said, I've never heard anybody say that except us. I said, but we are the ones who are enjoying the fulfillment of that blessing today as healing is coming to the world. And Israel, some of the very first to open up in that capacity. In Psalm 122, the Bible gives us our direction as we conclude today. First of all, we are under the mandate to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those, who pro may those prosper who love you. How many of you love Israel today? If you love Jesus, you love Israel. How many have ever heard the scripture where Jesus said, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. How many of us have misquoted it just like I did? Because he said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, my brothers. That's a big difference in that passage of Scripture. You say, well, pastor, we're all, don't you know? Yeah, I understand. We're part because of the blood of Jesus, our Savior. We're part of, we're engrafted in, Paul says in Romans 11. But I tell you, this is, this is an incredible concept. Jesus wants us to get it as it relates to his brothers. And the Jewish people are his brothers. We must continue to pray. But our prayers have got to go farther than just simply a quiet uh, word spoken in the back of a, of a prayer room. The Bible says the power of life and death is where? In the tongue. All hatred begins with words. The Holocaust didn't begin with gas chambers and ovens. It began with words. There were signposts on the road to Auschwitz. And I want you to hear from my friend Irving Roth. 1.1 million Jews. 10% of the Jewish population of all of Europe was brought here in that period of time and murdered. Based on propaganda and lies, things which have absolutely nothing to do with the reality. In Germany, it began with words at the bottom of a newspaper, the Jews are our misfortune. It began in the 1920s, the first anti-Jewish law. That law says that do not buy anything from a Jew. Do not use any Jewish products. The first step is boycott. 
I call those signposts along the road to Auschwitz. The signs were there, big and bold. Nobody bothered to look at them. And that is why when 10 years ago, the concept of a boycott, divestment, and sanctions against Israel came along, I screamed and yelled at the top of my voice. If there's one thing we need to learn from the Holocaust, we must recognize those signposts along the road to Auschwitz. In every generation, God uses people who will fulfill his promises. I want to honor Governor Dunleavy for signing a proclamation in recent days that adopts the International Holocaust Remembrance uh, Authority's definition of what uh, anti-Semitic behavior is. Uh, You can't defeat something you can't define, and I honor our governor for helping Alaskans define, and especially as it relates to anything regarding to the government of, of the state of Alaska. Alaska has taken a great step forward in not only identifying anti Semitism, but saying it doesn't belong here. And I think we ought to honor our governor for that. I've also heard on, on, on good word that very, very soon he's going to be issuing uh, an administrative order about uh, uh, anti-Semitic uh, activity and boycott, divestment, and sanction of Israel. I look forward to that. I understand he's done tremendous work in that regard. God uses politicians too, but he also uses men and women like you and me to fulfill his promise. There is a special card in here that means more to me than anything. Kufi pays for all of the materials. They're the reason I can come here today. And uh, also my church family has given me the day off to come and, and share with you. Listen, we would love for you to be supportive of Kufi in a variety of ways. And I've asked Pastor if he, if he wouldn't mind you having this material. He said that would be great. Uh, inside here, if you want to be supportive of Kufi on campus, there's a pathway to do that. Listen, the biggest battle we're facing today is on the, on the university campuses and college campuses of our country. And you can help us support that. But one of the most important things to me today is that you look at this Israel Pledge card. This card, if you'll pull it out and look at it with me, it says, I believe the Jewish people have a right to live in their ancient land of Israel. If you fill your name in here, uh, listen, we're not going to send you uh, great appeals for for money and all of that stuff. What happens is is you're joining 10 and a half, nearly 11 million people now who will say, I believe the Jews have a right to live in their ancient homeland of Israel and that the modern state of Israel is the fulfillment of this historic right. Secondly, we maintain there's no excuse for acts of terrorism against Israel. Israel has the same right as every other nation to defend her citizens from such violent attacks. And thirdly, we pledge to stand with our brothers and sisters in Israel and to speak out on their behalf whenever and wherever necessary until the attacks stop And they finally live in peace and security with their neighbors. I have an app on my phone. You may hear it go off. I I pray that it doesn't today. But if it does, my church understands what we do. That app tells me whenever there's a rocket incoming from Gaza or from Hamas or from Hezbollah or from Syria or from Iran. It tells me when a rocket is coming in and our church family knows what to do. We immediately stop everything and begin to pray and intercede over the people of Israel. The people, whenever there's a rocket incoming, they have 15 seconds to move from where they are to a place of safety. You should see First Assembly in Anchorage. Whenever one of those alarms go off, we have our people break up into small groups and they just run to a place and and begin to pray over the the needs of the people in, in Israel. That's one of the ways you can support them. But being a member of Kufi will take it to the next level. You can receive invitations to attend important events. Uh, We're just about ready to have our our tremendous uh, new event coming up, uh, our summit in uh, in D.C., uh, July uh, uh, 17th through the 19th. It's going to be an extraordinary time. Uh, 
At the beginning of this message, you saw the Kufi video, including footage of our annual DC summit, where five to 6,000 people will gather, people like yourself who love the, the state of Israel. And I'd love for you to, to go with me. Uh, in just the next few days, there might be just a few slots open if you're interested. I'd love to make it possible for you to go. Our summit is only one part of what we do, dealing, as we said, with anti-BDS legislation and uh, uh, helping people understand what the Holocaust is and defining anti-Semitism and speaking to the needs of the Jewish people. But Kufi has probably one of the most powerful voices in our world uh, today. I um, went to see one of our senators, Senator Sullivan, and he said to me in 2016, 2017, I believe it was, he said to me, Gary, Kufi has the floor now. It's the largest pro-Israel group. And when, let me tell you the, the power of it. The power is in the prayer. The power is in the, in the passion of the people of God who would see what God loves and love it with all their heart. God uses people. Let me read to you some names. Let me see if you remember any of these names. Um, Amiel, um, Gadiel, Gadai, Geul, Igal, Habi, those names ring any bells? Palti, Sether, Samua. Nobody remembers. Anybody remember Shaphat? How about Joshua and Caleb? You remember those two names, don't you? It's those other names we forget. Why? Because they didn't believe God and they didn't support the Jewish people. God always uses those kind of people who will say, yes, Lord, I believe. We remember only those two names who believed and acted upon it. So today I ask you to join with me and be one of those real strong believers who would pray the peace of Jerusalem. Pastor, may it be uh, may it please you if I ask us to shine the light. Today we are seeing the rise of an old enemy wearing a new mask. Once anti-Semitism was displayed by those in white hoods or wearing the twisted cross of the swastika. But today this old hatred hides in plain sight. Only a decade ago anti-Semites were shunned and despised. Now, this appalling bigotry has a platform on Twitter and is applauded in the public square. Anti-Semites rail against Israel on our college campuses. They break bread with elected officials. They commit acts of heinous violence in our cities. They may not wear the uniforms of their forefathers, but today's anti-Semites are more dangerous than ever. Today, anti-Semites wrap themselves in the flags of faith, social justice, and liberty. They contort the very concepts Americans hold so dear. So let us not be blind to the anti-Semitism that hides in plain sight. Words like anti-Zionism serve as fig leaves for bigotry. For decades, support for Israel transcended party, ideology, and faith in this country. But today, the loss of objective truth and the acceptance of moral ambiguity have enabled anti-Semitic movements to spread like cancer. CUFI was built for such a time as this. We will not let this darkness dim our light, for Christians are a light unto the world, and Israel is a light unto the nations. So shine bright. Shine the light on anti-Semitism that hides in plain sight. From churches to college campuses, from state capitals to Congress, we at Christians United for Israel seek to be a light in the darkness. As light conquers darkness, so shall we conquer this anti-Semitic scourge. Join us. Don't curse the darkness. Shine the light. Pastor, would you join me here for just a moment? And would it please you, Pastor, if I lead us in a word of prayer? 
to pray the peace of Jerusalem. 5,000 years from now, just as Joshua and Caleb will speak of God using them and fulfilling his promise to the children of Israel, I believe with all my heart we will remember God's graciousness in using our lives and doing something very similar. If you would join me by standing together, let's shine the light of God's love and the love of the Christian church upon the Jewish people in the state of Israel and pray the peace of Jerusalem here today. Father, it is our joy as a body, the body of our Savior, gathered here today at Summit. What a privilege, what a beautiful, great congregation this is today. And we have a sense of your love for us that is so powerful, so palpable. And yet today, Lord, we have a sense that you are you're touching our hearts, you're breaking our hearts for what has touched your heart for the centuries, that is the Jewish people. Lord, as believers in Christ, our Savior, we find it's, it's, it's incumbent upon us as the apostle constrained us to love the people of Israel. Jesus said, they will know you're my followers if you have love one for another. You teach us to love and to care for those that are the least of your brothers. Help us to do that in a way that's growing with power and authority. Thank you for this church family who's opened their heart. And I pray that, Lord, you would cause the love of God to fill that heart for the Jewish state and for the, the people of Israel. And we give you the glory and we give you the praise as we pray the peace of Jerusalem. In your name, Lord, we pray it. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you, my brother. Isn't that a good word today? Yeah. Pastor Gary and Alice will be out front by the table, and they said they'd be glad to answer any questions that you may have for them today. And uh, once again, I want to remind you, as we're dismissed this morning, that tonight we're going to have a, a great time of revival with the life changers, if you can come and attend that. Father, we just thank you for the ministry of Pastor Gary and Alice today. We thank you, Lord, that they're bringing understanding, Lord, to those that may not know that we need to stand with Israel. And Lord, we bless the Jewish people today. We bless the land of Israel. And Lord, we pray that our nation would continue to stand with them. That our leaders would see the value in that. And Lord, that we as Christians would pray for Israel, and we would stand with Your people too. Lord, we just ask for Your presence to go with us as we leave this place. Bring us back together tonight with a passion for You and a, a passion to have, Lord, just a, a time of revival in this place. And we ask it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen. Shake hands with somebody before you leave. Tell them you love them in the Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.